Pop-Up Magazine is a live magazine. When we tour the country, we need a sauna like we need phone chargers and late-night tacos. A lot. We have so many details to keep track of. Stories, music, theaters, hotels. Asana is a work management tool that puts everything in one shared space so we see who's doing what and when, and we can spend our time on what matters, making a great show. Visit asana.com to learn more and try today for free. That's A-S-A-N-A dot com. From Pop-Up Magazine, this is Field Guide, an audio experience made for the world around us. I'm Haley Howell. Today, the night sky. I generally take it for granted that every night the world completely changes. That when the sun goes down and the stars come out, things become different. And it's not for everyone. We've got our night owls and our early birds. But there are some things that only happen once the sun goes down. Plants and animals that only come out at night. People too. And whether you see it or not, every night the sky puts on a show. And I realize I don't look up enough. So I want to take this time to remind you to look up. I hope you'll listen to this episode at night. It could be in bed or while you cook dinner. Or you could go outside, look up, and listen to these stories about our mysterious world at night. We also made a visual field guide to go along with this series. You can check it out at popupmagazine.com. All right, here we go. My name is Evgenia Arbogaeva, and I'm a photographer. Originally, I'm from a small town called Tixi in the Russian Arctic. When you live above Arctic Circle, it can be up to three months of full darkness, and you don't see sun at all. And it can be quite difficult because, you know, it feels like you're just living one long night. But at the same time, it's a really mysterious and beautiful time. It just feels very special. And, and so on my way to school, when I was going to school, I could just walk this little road and just look up the sky and see those aurora borealis and stars. And I don't remember the first time I saw aurora. I, I feel like I've always have been seeing it all my life, every winter almost. The last time I saw Aurora was in town called Dixon. People used to call it a capital of Russian Arctic back in the USSR. But right now it's an abandoned town. It's quite eerie. And when I got there, it was actually too dark, I realized, because you know I couldn't take any pictures. But then after, I think, about two weeks of wandering around in dark streets, all of a sudden Aurora just exploded in the sky. It was so beautiful and also very low. I felt like I could almost touch its needles. It was so low. It was this neon green color. And actually, it was so bright that it was almost difficult to look at it. It's, it's very hard to put into words. But it does something to you. It's just kind of touches something that nothing else can. Uh, well, my name's Stokey Woodall. I live on the Isle of Wight. 
uh, in the UK. My profession is I'm a professional uh, captain. Well, my first uh, delivery was a bit of a disaster time-wise, which was to take a boat from Oslo in Norway to the British Virgin Islands via Antigua. And because there was no satellite information or stuff like that, 1978, we had to navigate then with the stars. So, actually, it was a necessity for me to learn to be able to do that. And I remember approaching Antigua, and it's one of the most spectacular sights I've ever seen. And the moon was on the horizon in front of me, and the sun was on the horizon behind me. You know, and we just sailed nearly four and a half thousand miles, you know, all the way from Europe on a 27-foot yacht just by using the stars. And the sights that you get out there, because there is no light pollution, you see the Milky Way, I mean, your planets, meteor showers, you know, and in fact, even though we had a tough trip, stopping was actually a disappointment. And when you think, is there anything else out there? Yeah, once you're out there and you've got no light pollution, it is as near to heaven as you're ever going to get. We now know that about half of the sun-like stars have a planet the size of the Earth, roughly at the same separation as the Earth is from the Sun. The Earth-Sun system appears to be a common occurrence, and there are billions of such systems just within the Milky Way alone. And so that, to me, illustrates that we are not special or unique. My name is Avi Loeb, and I'm a professor of science at Harvard University. My main interests involve the first uh, generation of stars in the universe, black holes, and uh, the search for life, both uh, uh, biological, primitive life, but also technological civilizations out there. When I walk out and look at the night sky, I see the stars. And I think of them as uh, lights uh, in uh, passenger cabins on a giant spaceship. And I often wonder if there are passengers next to those lights. The one thing I learned over the decades of practicing astronomy and looking at the sky and thinking about it is a sense of modesty. You know, we are so small relative to the universe. We live for such a short time relative to the age of the universe. So we are really witnessing a tiny bit of cosmic history And to me, the most fundamental question that will have a huge impact on society is who else lives in our neighborhood? Either lives right now or lived in the past. Can we find relics that will tell us that? I'm Jennifer Frick Rupert, and I am a professor of biology and environmental science at Brevard College. What we have up here in the uh, southern Appalachians is we have these two really unusual species, these wonderful fireflies. One of them is called the blue ghost. They're called blue ghost fireflies because people think they look ghostly. Um, a lot of folks around here call them blue fairies. And I will swear to you, it makes me think of 
a leprechaun or something in the forest that's carrying a little candle and walking through the forest and you see it go behind a leaf or behind a tree and then it comes out on the other side. The blue ghosts don't flash, they just glow. They're glowing because they're mating. That's what they're doing is they're signaling to each other to say, hey, I'm here. But they like that period right after the sun goes down, it gets dark and before the moon comes up, that's their favored time. You get used to working when it's dark outside so much that the light almost seems like an intrusion. I am David Green, and for many years I was a voice on NPR hosting a show called Morning Edition, which starts very early in the morning, which means I went to work very, very late at night. The moments that would stand out would be interactions with people that were just so much more meaningful and memorable because it was the middle of the night. You know, there's a grocery store here in L.A., and if I would go there during the day, it would just feel very, you know, commonplace. But, you know, like, I'd go there in the middle of the night, and the, you know, the same cashier would often be working, and it was this sense of camaraderie. You know, we'd have, like, what felt like deeper conversations. Like, he got to know me a little bit. I was like, you know, how long have you been doing this shift? And he's, you know, telling me he's been doing it for a while, and he likes it because it's emptier. And, you know, like, I remember him. Once a month or so, once or twice a month, if I had time and it wasn't going to be a really busy morning, I would actually drive down to the beach and I would have coffee and like look out over the Pacific. And that's when the sky was truly gorgeous. And I don't know, like when you're lonely in the middle of the night going to work, you know, just looking out at the horizon in the dark just gives you this sense of space. Um, it feels like less lonely. At night in my room and it's dark, all the light I get is from my fan and from my clock. And I don't like it. I'm Mateo and I'm turning 11 on Monday. Well, I mostly fear, like, something's gonna walk through my door, because, like, since it's dark, I, like, I'm looking at my door, I'm like, oh, gosh, get in, I want to get into my nook, and I'm scared. Since I like to play video games, a lot of those video games have, like, situations that are kind of scary. Some of the characters just look weird and dead. So it kind of feels like, oh my gosh, oh no, 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 they are not going to come into my room. It's going to a very dark place in my mind with all, like, the bad stuff I learned, the, like, the horrid stuff, decapitation, slavery, poverty. And then it just, like, it goes shopping and then brings it back to the house, fries it up, the aroma goes into my brain, and then I think about that stuff. That's what I imagine my brain is doing. Either I think positive things is what my mom said to do, but that doesn't, doesn't always work. So what I do, I think of 
like shows that I watch, like Clone Wars, I think, oh, there are millions of millions of troopers surrounding my house. There's an artillery cannon on top of my house. If anything remotely comes close to my room, I will destroy it. And if it finds me, I will protect myself. Or at least I'll try. <laughs> so that's what I like to think. I'm not a morning person. I think the morning is evil. I'm a night owl. I always have been. I think I always will be. My name is Roxanne Gay, and I'm a writer. I love the night sky. I love, love, love it. I have spent most of my life in the Midwest, and so when I was living there, it was very easy to see, like, all of the stars, and they were just, like, sparkling, and it's just stunning. It's stunning, and it's one of my favorite things. I love the nighttime. It's when I get most of my writing done, and... You know, when I'm doing the work, everything else has sort of quieted. And so there are fewer distractions in general, like my wife is asleep. And so I just find that it's easier to take risks when I feel like, okay, there's no one around. And of course, I do think there's also something to the allure of the writer toiling late into the night. I don't even feel like I can write anything good until the sun goes down. And so I can do daytime writing, but when the sun goes down, that's when I get really excited and I think, hmm, I might be coming tonight. My name is Joe Falls, and I am the retired former director of education at uh, Tohono Chul here in Tucson, Arizona. Tohono Chul is a 49-acre desert preserve in northwest Tucson. Out here in Tucson, people will plant what they refer to as moon gardens. Basically, it's a garden that the flowers open at night, and in general, those flowers will tend to be um, white, uh, which, of course, therefore makes them look like the moon, particularly our night-blooming Sirius, otherwise known as the queen of the night. Once the flowers start to bloom, they will not open until the sun goes down. The flower itself will take probably about four hours to fully open, and the petals will slowly unfurl. The flower will be in full bloom by, say, 10 o'clock at night, and we will get um, upwards of 2,000 people coming out to see these flowers in, in the space of six hours. By the time the sun is coming up, those flowers are closing and they're done for the year. That's it. My name is Bess Kalb, and I am an author and TV comedy writer, and I live in Los Angeles. The night makes me nervous and uh, jumpy. I, I also live in a city that is, is covered in smog and was raised in, a, um, in New York City, which uh, blocked out the night sky. So, you know, I only see stars if I'm miserable in, in the wilderness. My goddamn child loves the night sky. His first word was moon. And, and then because like you can say anything to your baby, I, I, I told him, and this just sort of like occurred to me in the moment, but I have to follow through with it. I was like, that's where you're from. Um, and so that that's just sort of like something for him to unpack later. 
Unfortunately, I've created a monster. He loved Twinkle Twinkle. Twinkle Twinkle was the first time he clapped his hands. Um, and so, of course, I kept doing it because I got a great reaction from the crowd. I realized, though, out of a window in our house, you can see this amazing, majestic view of the five freeway. Um, at at night, it looks it it looks like you know the Milky Way. And so, I, one of his first one of his first sort of like cosmic realizations is he looked out the window in our living room and he went, "Tars, Mama, Tars." And I I didn't have the heart to be like, "No, it's just like." a tangle of carbon emissions. I have always had a fascination with the stars with the planets. Uh, I was a big science nerd when when I was a kid. My name is Mecca Woods and I'm an astrologer and author. When I'm looking at someone's birth chart for the first time, um, I see it as something that's sacred because it is intimate. Our birth chart is basically a cosmic map to who we are based on the time that we were born, the day, the month, the year, down to like the minute and the location. It equates to a planetary alignment that was in place at the time of our birth. And so based on that planetary alignment, it can tell us all kinds of things about us from like our, our gifts and our talents and like, you know, what we're here to do in this life to um, things that we might need to be a little bit more watchful of. But when I think about the birth chart, I definitely see it as being kind of like a, a piece of the sky that we kind of all carry within us. I feel like I've always liked the nighttime more than daytime. I think there's two kinds of people, night people and daytime people, and I, I definitely feel I'm a night person. My name is Angela Narciso Torres, and I write poetry. As a child, we lived in a suburb of Manila called Green Hills, and nighttime became associated with some of my happiest childhood memories. So it felt very lively in our household at night. Eventually, you know, my dad would go to sleep, my older brother would go to sleep, but the other brother, the one I'm closest to, he would stay up with me and we would just keep, you know, talking and working. And then at some point we'd get hungry and he'd say, let's go to the kitchen, make a sandwich. And he made the best hot sausage and cheese triple decker sandwiches. And we would walk into the front yard where we would lie under the stars and talk and eat our sandwiches. Most of the time it was just the two of us. And that's why it was so special. It was like we owned the night. We owned the entire street and the air and the sounds, everything about it. It was pitch dark except for a few street lamps. So going out at night, you really got to experience what real blackness looked like, a black night sky with so many stars. In fact, I seem to remember that the stars actually had color. Like some of them were pink, some were yellow, some were blue. And I don't know if that's just my imagination, but that's what I recall. 
I just felt like nighttime was the time for magical things to happen. Even if your team isn't in the same place, your work can be. You just need Asana. Asana is where teams coordinate work so they know what to do, why it matters, and how to get it done. Plus, everyone can see the team's plans, check progress, and discuss things. So you can get work done, and your team stays a team. Where there's Asana, there's a way. Visit asana.com to try for free. That's Asana. A-S-A-N-A. This story was brought to you by Pop-Up Magazine Productions, written and produced by me, Haley Howell, along with Joy Shan, Alyssa Eads, Ariel Mejia, and Elise Craig. Our editors are Derek Fagerstrom and Doug McGray. Our music and sound design is by Alex Overington. Our creative director is Leo Jung. Rebecca Chu is our art director, and Jackie Bates is our photography director. Lauren Smith is our director of operations. And we had production help from Al Schatz and Andy Spillman. Thanks so much for listening. And don't forget to check out our visual field guide at popupmagazine.com. <laughs>